Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sue wasn't cheap. That guy finds out his accounts were charged. The rich take for granted their money will always be there. That's why they're so easy to steal from. Target approaching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. On each week's episode of Decoding Westworld, we recap the most recent episode of Decoding Westworld. We will spoil it, but we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything on the next time on preview of the show. This week, we'll be discussing season three, episode four, The Mother of Exiles. You can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. So at the beginning of every episode, we also like to go over emails, corrections, what have you, things that we thought of after we recorded the last episode. And uh, a few things we want to go over today. First of all, uh, Jonah Robinson, I think there was an issue with uh, a location that was given on last week's episode, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think I got it right in an earlier episode, but just got it wrong uh, (laughs) last week for sure. Um, But the location, the City of Arts and Sciences, which we've seen stand in for uh, Della's headquarters a couple times, uh, that is a real life place. It is a real life place in Spain. I said, I think I said it was in Barcelona. It is in Valencia, as many, 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 (laughs) many, 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 many. Many, Many people, people pointed that out. So <laughs> thank you for pointing so, that out. My favorite of the responses was someone being like, I didn't want one of your listeners to go to Barcelona and be bummed that the building wasn't there. And I was like, okay, folks, if you end up traveling somewhere because of something we said on, on this podcast, like I need to see more of your of your vacation photos. Like, I don't think we're that influential. People, but anyway. people definitely do guide. I've, you know, people make their itineraries based on what they hear on a Westworld podcast, I think. Uh, but often. yeah, if you, if you want to go to that staggeringly beautiful building, it is in Valencia, which is not the same. It's Barcelona. As we all know, there you go. All right. Uh, next item you have here in the show notes, the Charlie thing. What is the Charlie thing? Okay, so we got a couple emails about this, and I swear I mentioned this on the podcast last week, but maybe I breezed past it too quickly. So a bunch of people thought I hadn't picked up on it, but I promise I did, which is that Jake, played by Michael Ely, who is Charlotte, the real Charlotte Hale's baby daddy, uh, called her Charlie, which is not a nickname we've heard uh, anyone use on her. And uh, Charlie is also the name of uh, Bernard slash Arnold's son, uh, who we got a lot of in season one. And we actually got a little bit of in this week's episode, episode four. Um, I took that to be a like winking little nod towards the fact. And I wrote about this on VF.com, but a little winking nod towards the fact that in season one, a bunch of us, including me, we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if Charlotte Hale is Charlie because Charlotte and Charlie, like they never called her that on the show before last week, but it was just sort of like a Charlotte, Charlie, could it be sort of connection? But like 
<clears throat> it was a, it was a pretty silly theory at the time, like grasping at straws. Um, and so I took this little uh, nod to Charlie here, being like a little uh, bit of Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan poking fun at us for a bad theory from season one. But wow, um, you know, that is like multiple layers deep. That one. Uh, I mean that that is my that's that was my interpretation. So <clears throat> because like a bunch of people emailed me and they were like. What if Charlotte's trial is like, not this again. I can't, we can't do it again. This was a bad season one theory. We can't bring it back in season three. Then again, we, we got a Charlie flash in this episode. So I don't know, but the, the, the genders, I don't know. Anyway, Charlie's dead and he was a boy. So that's not to be too, too gender binary about it, but that's, that's my uh, response to that. Okay. We did get an email from uh, somebody who asked me to omit her first name, and her last name is Nichols. Uh, I don't know why they asked me to omit their first name, because this email doesn't make as much sense anymore. But here we go. I wanted to point out that pre-host Charlotte, in her last scene in the park, recorded on some as-yet-identified host, pointedly refers to her son by his full name, Nathan Hale. As there are no character name coincidences in Westworld, I thought it was interesting that her son shares a name with the revolutionary war hero from my home state of Connecticut. Nathan Hale was a spy for the Continental Army during the American Revolution and famously went behind enemy British lines. I have no idea if this will have any relevance to the plotline, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, also, I share Joanna's annoyance with rather suddenly retconning Charlie as a mother. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlotte as a mother. And having that be the thing that gives her character depth or whatever, it does feel like a tired and gendered trope to me. A proudly child-free person, when a child suddenly gives a character new meaning or a new lease on life, surely there are other better ways for us to find out who Charlotte was before she was a host. Uh, so that email comes in from someone whose last name is Nichols, writing into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Nathan Hale. Another reference uh, in a name there, Jenna Robinson. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think they were like, oh, we've got the last name Hale. What name could we pose with it? Ah, something that connotes like spying and going behind enemy lines. It's perfect. So Mm. um, I also think something that I noticed uh, after we recorded last week is that, you know, the mostly we see Nathan in bed. Right. Uh, except like when they're at the park um, or at school or whatever later. But mostly he's like having these nighttime chats with Charlotte, um, which is like does connect to Charlie because all we saw of Charlie, Arnold slash Bernard's son, um, was in a hospital bed. So like these little boys in their PJs right. on their pillows, like that's that's a visual connection. Um, I also thought it was interesting that on Nathan's pillowcase, um, you see these arrow. There's an arrow design on his sheets. Uh, which is pretty identical to the arrows uh, that sort of turn into the Rehoboam sphere um, mm. in the opening credits. Uh, so I don't, that, nothing, I don't think anything's a coincidence on Westworld. So I don't think those are a coincidence, but I'm not sure it means much more than like an arrow is, is an arrow along with a lot of the other imagery in the opening credits is like a symbol of, you know, something on its course on a trajectory sort of thing. So. Good catch. Good catch. Uh, we got Speaking of names, we got this email from Bill Johnson who writes in, quote, This isn't a fully thought out thing yet, but I do think it's interesting and possibly relevant that Dolores has been linked with people in alphabetical order. Arnold created her originally. Bernard created by Dolores. Caleb, partner in crime to take down the real world? Question mark. The best connection I can come up with is, is that these are some form of reference to a revision number, like software uh, does go through alpha and beta versions. Maybe it's tied to the level of consciousness or God or something. Not fully formed, but curious if uh, you had a take or a perspective on it. John Robinson, any take on the names being alphabetical? 
I kind of liked that. I always thought that that was true of, of Arnold and Bernard, that it was yeah, like a B, right? Yeah. A B like that. That made sense to me. I never thought about putting C and Caleb in that sequence, but that's, that's kind of fun. Um, uh, but I would wonder where William would William, someone who is so often associated with Dolores, where that would fit in. Um, but maybe we're not thinking of William in the same. Uh, I, I think of William and Caleb as linked um, and Teddy as sort of these like romantic ish interests for Dolores. Um, but, you know, I, I like it is what I have to say. All right. Uh, you have it here in the show notes, King Midas. What is this King Midas thing in the show notes? Well, it's time for Greek Mythology Corner. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking about uh, when I was watching this episode, this week's episode, which opens with like William and Emily, which we'll get to eventually in our rundown. Um, I was thinking of the myth of, of King Midas, which is like Midas is, um, you know, the story of King Midas is that, you know, he, he wishes for um, – you know, the ability to everything he touches turns to gold, right? That's something that he wishes for. And at first he's like, this rules, look how rich I am. Everything I touch is turns, turns to gold. Then he found he couldn't like eat anything because any, any food he touched, um, I guess he like, he needed chopsticks, right? But like any food he touched turned to gold, he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink because any like water he tried to scoop up from the river, like turned to gold, like so straws and chopsticks, but maybe it would have turned to gold in his mouth. I don't know. But anyway, the 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 real tragic end for King Midas is that uh, his daughter comes running towards him and like throws herself into his arms and she turns to gold and he's like ah my my curse um so uh, I was just good thinking King about... Midas impression <laughs> thank you nailed it I'm known for my King Midas impression <laughs> anyway so I was just thinking about like William and like sort of this you know this park that he's created this like the power that he created for himself and the fact that like you know the his his dalliance with technology with robots his fascination his kingdom that he's built out of it uh you know and then his daughter sort of like comes at him and and it and and like she dies and so i was just sort of thinking of him and like sort of a a king midas sort of allegory all so. right nice uh and finally we got a voicemail from a listener uh people can send in their voice clips they don't do that very often because we don't play them very often but we did get a voicemail explaining what they thought about the meaning of Sorak's name the character played by vincent cassell let's take a listen to that voicemail right now hey joanna and david this is chloe huge fan of the podcast and of westworld of course i'm on my daily walk to get away from my house during the lockdown here so um, I'm from France, and I wanted to kind of give it my shot at pronunciation. I am not a specialist, though, not a linguist, so I can give my perspective, but it might be wrong, so just disclaimer on that. What Joanna was saying about the Ange uh, route was interesting, so I was thinking about it, and I looked up the name, and there's sort of two ways I would look at this and try to you know, pronounce it. Angeron, or Angeron, a uh, little, you know, it's kind of a weird word, so... I haven't seen anything like it. So if we go with Angeron, it's really close to Ange and Eron. So that would be angel and kind of drifting or traveling like a vagabond. So that's a really cool kind of take on it if we go with that pronunciation, Angeron, because it's Ange Eron, right? So uh, a wandering angel drifting between worlds, maybe, is something that comes to mind. Just a thought. 
might be wrong. I might have that pronunciation off. It's just when I look at it, that's the pronunciation I would probably give it. Um, love your podcast. Been listening from the beginning, and thank you so much for giving us some fun things to listen to during this time of being at home. So I thought this was a delightful voicemail. Some uh, Me too. nice uh, name interpretation there. Yeah. So um, the idea of like Angerard uh, is ange errant, like errant angel, wandering angel, or whatever. Um, which to me, like, I was trying to look at like when Chloe Chloe said that, and I was like, well, of course, this is this has to be it. Maybe I think. Um, so I was looking up like errant angel to see if there was like anything, any specific meaning uh, tied to that, like in literature or poetry. Um, and I found like some like out of print poetry collection called The Errant Angel, but I couldn't find anything. And then like a, a, a romance novel, I think, called The Errant Angel, uh, but I couldn't find like any of the contents of the poetry collection. Uh, I did not think the romance novel is what we were looking for. But anyway, I think Errant Angel invokes. Um, Lucifer, right? Lucifer, the fallen angel yeah. sort of thing. So that's that, you know, that would be my best interpretation of Chloe's interpretation of, of this name. All right. Uh, so let's dive into the episode, the mother of exiles. Uh, and what do we make of this title, John Robinson? So something we know <laughs> is that Lisa Joy loves poetry. That's why I was looking up to see if Aaron Angel had something to do with poetry. Lisa Joy, co-creator of Westworld, loves poetry. So the mother of exiles here is from the uh, the poem uh, that is on the the base of the Statue of Liberty, the New Colossus, uh, written by uh, Emma Lazarus. I'm gonna read it. It's short. Okay. Uh, the poem goes, you'll, you'll know part of it. Feel free to sing along to the part, you know, okay. Um, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land here at our sea wash sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles from her beacon hand glows worldwide. Welcome her, eye, her mild eyes command the air bridged Harbor that twin cities frame keep ancient lands, your storied pomp cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore send these the homeless tempest tossed to me i lift my lamp beside the golden door so nicely done jonah uh so, <laughs> so the the mother of exiles is another name for the statue of liberty um and so who do we think this is a reference to in this episode? I'm, I mean, I like, I feel like it has to be Dolores. Yes, Dolores, right, is the most obvious interpretation. But it is the most obvious interpretation. But, like, do we want to say it's Maeve? I mean, who is off? Who's truly offering liberty to people? And that's the question. That mm. has been the question. And this idea of like, um. Dolores and Bernard and Maeve all as as options like thought leaders uh, in in the world of advanced hostery uh, with apologies to Stubbs. I don't think he's quite on their level, but like, you know, uh, they all have their ideas of what what is best for the hosts. What is freedom for the hosts and what is this new world? I still don't think we fully understand what Dolores is planning to do. Um, like she talks about building a new world 
for uh, the likes of Maeve's daughter, you know what I mean? In, in the form of Musashi in this episode. So like yeah. in theory, she's making a new world and then everyone who's stored in the Valley beyond can come get 3d printed and live in this new world that she's created. Is that what she's trying to do? Um, Maeve is not down with that. And she seems to have a different idea of what freedom means for hosts. And Bernard also, has his ideas. But what's interesting is that for all of them, Maeve and Dolores and Bernard, we see examples in this episode or, or questions in this episode about uh, how controlling they are with the hosts that are in sort of their sweat, you know, like the way in which Bernard just shuts Stubbs off in this episode, as he did two episodes ago, like reprogram Stubbs, like that kind of controlling thing that he has. And then Musashi, Dolores' Musashi says something similar to Maeve where she's like, uh, did you give us a choice? What kind of choice did you give Hector? What kind of choice did you give Clementine? Like, what kind of freedom did you offer them? Did they have any choice to follow you? And then, you know, Dolores, um, in terms of like Charlotte and all the hosts that are her, I mean, that's the big reveal of this episode, right? But like, who are her, but also she's the alpha, she's in control of all of them. So it's like, can you offer liberty whilst, while forcing someone to obey you? Yeah. It, are those, are those concepts, you know, reconcilable uh, is a question. So. Indeed, indeed. Well, you talked about the big reveal of this episode, which is that we learned who is in Charlotte Hale's body, and we learned who the other hosts that were printed out were. Uh, and almost we, all of them, almost all of them. And so I'll just—it's uh, Dolores, Bernard, Connells, Saito, and then one other unnamed one, right? Sorry, Musashi. I think I wrote Saito, but yeah, Musashi. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Musashi. Uh, who is Saito? Is, is Sa- that, Sa- Sato is that is the guy the, from Inception? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Sato is the name Musashi is using as the head of the Yakuza. I see, I see. S A T O, which is close to Saito. Uh, that's was my bad, but anyway, yes. No worries, no worries. Yeah, um, I was like, yeah, that, I don't know, was, know if that's right, but yeah. Um, so, uh, so those are the so five people that, yeah. or four of the five people that that right. have been printed out. Um, so that's the big reveal of this episode. Is that it's Dolores that's in all of them, basically, right? Except Bernard, right? Bernard, Bernard is right. his own thing. And then Dolores, Connells, and Musashi are all, and Charlotte, are all Dolores. But there is a fifth <laughs> mystery pearl out there. There is another. <laughs> there uh, is another Skywalker. Uh, I have a theory as to who I think it is. And you don't, you don't know who it is? I don't point. know. I, this is fun, guys. I don't know what comes next, so I get to it's. I get to theorize. Um, so, like, I, I mean, I think it might be Dolores in in the body, right? Um, well, that might be a question. Like, it might be a is this a Dolores clone or not? Like, you know. Um, but if if we see another body, whether or not it has Dolores inside of it or not, I gotta put my chips on Clementine. I think we're going to see Angela Serafian. I think I did not butcher her name. Uh, again, mostly because of what she means to a, because she's a popular character on the show. And uh, that actress is just so tremendous. Uh, and B, because of what she means to Maeve. I think that right. will matter. Yeah. The so. gauntlet has been thrown, John Robinson. But let's, let's talk about this episode overall. How did you feel yeah. about that reveal? 
I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a little bit of a cheat, uh, honestly. You know, it only took me four episodes (laughs) to start getting angry at Westworld again. (laughs) Um, Especially because of a lot of what we talked about last week. There's a lot I do like in this episode. I just rewatched it again. I really do like it. But... uh, that is not my favorite uh, thing that they did this season, uh, especially because I really would have liked to have known that when watching uh, Tessa Thompson last week that she was doing Dolores. That felt important. Well, um, that's not my problem with it. I mean, I, I, I agree that the episode would have been stronger if you knew that going in. Yeah. But the big problem is that for a reveal like this, what you want to have happen is you reveal that information and then the audience thinks back on everything they saw before and it all makes sense. It all snaps into place. It's like the sixth sense. Oh, he was dead the whole time. Like that one scene, you know, that's why his wife couldn't see Bruce Willis in in the restaurant in the sixth sense is because he was dead. You know, you want the audience to have that, like those waves of realization uh, being like, oh, they planned it the entire time. Genius. This rewards repeat viewings. Whereas it's not, completely unreasonable it's not like they didn't do anything to seed that idea in the last couple episodes for instance we talked about how charlotte hale with dolores's pearl insider straight up murders a pedophile in broad daylight which is something that dolores slash wyatt would do right i mean yeah but all that earlier stuff of her waking up and being super confused about why she needs to be in Charlotte Hale and you're the only person I that just did not strike me as the way a clone of Dolores would act in that scenario. Well, I think so. I think if you rewatch it, which I have a couple times, I think the idea is that th- that Dolores is like <laughs> baby Dolores. Yeah. I mean, like it's like it's like Dolores. Like, this is evolved Dolores is who we're seeing in Evan Rachel Wood's body, but who we're seeing in Charlotte's body is, like, ranch hand daughter Dolores. But then the right? part where she, like, I guess in the part when she becomes a cold-blooded killer is her recalling her, like, her past life before she was ranch hand Dolores, I guess. Well, she's like, oh, are you, are you, are you like, awakened the predator in me, sort of, like, which is the Wyatt sort of thing. So I saw, I saw from the beginning, I saw a lot of people... Mm, here's what I'll say. When I saw some people theorizing that it might be Dolores and all the other bodies after the first episode, I got suspicious that someone with access to screeners was pushing that theory online. Mm. But after like the fact that it grew in popularity, like later I was like, yeah, like I think a couple episodes, like if I think if I had watched this week by week and had discussions week by week, both people, I, I could have like, I didn't have that opportunity. I watched all these episodes at once. I didn't like sit and think about like who <laughs> Dolores might be. Um, I just watched it all. And so, yeah, I can see how people like were guessing that, um, you know, this happened, like, I don't mean to sound snooty. Like it, it sounds like, I don't know. It sounds bad to say like, well, if you guess that you must've had a spoiler, but I, that does happen. Sometimes people who are like involved in production go on Reddit and they like, put up theories that like there's just no way people could have come up with um so that was my suspicion around the theorizing after the first episode but now i mean like some especially after episode three i think some when you rewatch that scene with charlotte and dolores when she's like waking up and she's like what basically she's like why do you get to look like you 
Like, why don't you get to wear the Dolores suit and mm-hmm. I got to wear this one? You know what I mean? Like, um, like it, 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 I think it's there. Um, the most common theory I saw that was close yes. to what is true yes. is that it was like Wyatt. Cause like Wyatt, you remember is the, um, merciless killer personality that was put into Dolores, um, when Arnold wanted her to like massacre all the hosts. So this con this idea of like Dolores is having like a split personality and that like Wyatt being part of it. So a lot of people thought like maybe she had, she had put the Wyatt part of her in, Charlotte or something like that. But I don't think that's the case. I think all the Doloreses are Dolores. You know what I mean? Which is both ranch hand daughter and um mass killer. <laughs> <laughs> she contains multitudes. She contains right? multitudes, literally. Yeah. Uh so okay. All right. Well, maybe I'm going too hard on the episode then, Joanna. No, I mean I don't like it. I, I guess Here's... I felt I'm a little surprised because I felt like you were even more angry at it than than I was. Well, I don't I think I'm angry because I am feel so certain that this was not their plan at the end of last season. And so then for them to be like, well, that's going to be the big mystery, a big mystery of season at the end of season two, they're like, that's going to be a big mystery of season three. Who's in all these bodies sort of thing. And then to be like, JK, it was just copy paste Dolores. I'm like, oh, okay. Like that just seems like sometimes the Westworld folks like to do that where they're like, it seems like they're more invested in fooling you than actually giving you something that feels like super emotionally rewarding. Mm. So, I mean, do I think that Dolores is vainglorious enough to like have copy pasted herself? Yes, I do. Um, But uh, is that where I think they were going at the end of season two? No, especially because, if you look at the pearls at the end of season two, you know, Charlotte has like five pearls in her bag as she's leaving the Island. They're all gray. But if you look at the, the ones that are, you know, we see in this season, it's four gray ones and one reddish gray one. And the reddish gray one belongs to Bernard. And it's because it's a blend of the red, which is Arnold, like, cause the human pearls are red. So it's a blend of the human pearl that is Arnold and the gray pearl that is Bernard. And that was not, what we saw in the bag at the end of season two. So that's something that they decided to do. So it's just like when, I mean, there's, there's like a potentially even bigger retcon in this episode, which is the like, are we undoing the crazy William end of credits thing that happened at the end of season two? Possibly. Right. So yeah. that, you know, so that sort of, that frustrates me when they like lay something out, say it's something in an interview and then are and then sort of like write themselves a trapdoor out of it. That mm. that bothers me. It probably doesn't bother the average viewer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, a couple thoughts on that. Number one, Westworld got a Westworld. You know, it's yeah. kind of where I'm coming at it from. And number two, uh, I will give them this. That is not an outcome I would have guessed. You know, I, 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 and, you know, we talked about it last week. In none of my scenarios was my prediction. Hey, she copied and pasted herself five times, uh, and I was genuinely shocked when i saw it and it's hard to genuinely shock me or surprise me these days uh and so i will give westworld that but you know that's that's never something that westworld was bad at you know it was never bad at surprising plot twists uh and it's some of the other things that i think it needs work on that uh we've talked about in the past in any case 
uh, we got to get into this episode, and mm-hmm. I might I might kind of <laughs> fast forward through some of these sure. uh, th- these pl- these uh, scenes here. But season three, episode four, the Mother of Exiles. So we'll talk about the uh, William and Charlotte stuff at the end of uh, this podcast episode. But there was a scene earlier on with Bernard and Stubbs, and they're kind of hanging out uh, in a hotel room. Uh, Stubbs has kind of retreated to the uh, sad frat bro part of his programming. It seems. Uh, <laughs> like, you got to give him to him though. The, like the one-handed beer can open was what? pretty pretty slick. He's programmed to want to drink beer. For some I don't. Reason. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know. I don't think we've ever seen him drink beer in the rest of the show. So no. it's just it's very odd. Uh, but he he's apparently in San Bernardino, California, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're trying to track down Dolores to theoretically stop her, right? Is what's happening. Yeah, they need to give us, like, what we learn in this scene is that A, our, uh, Bernard has, a, like, a little switch that can, like, stop hosts in their, like, freeze all motor functions, right? B, um, that he believes that Dolores has done a find and replace on uh, Liam, like he figures out her plan, he just has the wrong Liam guy. Dempsey Jr. Right? Correct. Yep. Yes. So he thinks it's the the like rich asshole when in fact it's his body man sort of thing, right? Um, three, we get some exposition on the fact that Stubbs's shoulder is injured, both from like what happened at the, at like in Westworld and then like yes. a five mile swim that they had to do for some reason. Yes, we don't com- know why. Completely off screen though. <laughs> completely off we don't know what that was about but they it took you know they had to <laughs> swim five miles and then they landed in the shitty motel in san bernardino yeah. we do get this weird this interesting flash when bernard is walking past um a kid watching this like really cool i think like rocket like the rocket launch in the distance is cool but the rocket landing is really cool because that's not a thing that exists uh in our world i think like rockets don't land like that do they I don't know. Question mark. I don't know about anything about rockets, but there's two things landing with like afterburners that look like a launch, but it's in reverse. Anyway, I thought that was cool. Uh, Like this little family's watching that and he sees this young boy and he flashes to an image of, of Charlie. We also see him remember being in the cradle, you know, when they're in the cradle, the simulation sort of thing, when the, uh, the letterbox formatting hits the, uh, it's the old screen there. So if you go into letterbox, that's a simulation. So he remembers Dolores building him and stuff like that. So he's just having those like Arnold Bernard memories. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll mention about the San Bernardino hotel motel uh, scene is that Stubbs has this like cool, like aerial tool tour of hall. Not cool. It's deeply uncool. It's like that scene in, in, um, Pulp Fiction when like, uh, you know, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson have to like wear T-shirts and look like a couple of dorks. He looks like a dork in this like aerial tour of Hollywood shirt, uh, which features a drone, uh, which is pretty great. But they determined that they have to go to a party, I guess. This season has not been kind to this Hemsworth overall. <laughs> well, he gets a cool fight. He gets a cool fight in this episode. <laughs> I think. So yeah. All right. So then there's Caleb and Dolores. They are going to infiltrate this big party. Uh, so we see Dolores say, "Hey, you gotta you gotta dress the part." He takes she takes Caleb to this uh, place to buy some clothing, and there's this really cool like clothing try on scene. It's very similar to like Grand Theft Auto. I, I, there seems to be many things that remind me of Grand Theft Auto in this show. But <laughs> right. if you ever were like try to buy, buy clothes in a video game, it's very similar to this, where you just 
you have your avatar on screen and then you press a button and then oh here's how they look with this vest or you know and it's not just grand theft auto it's many video games uh but it's also a cool vision of augmented reality and that's something we've praised on the show before is uh, yeah. i think the vision of the future it feels very grounded you know it feels yeah. it's not like star trek it's very like hey this is stuff that you could actually see happening in you know 20 30 years uh this kind of augmented reality stuff so yeah, I really liked that. It reminded me of Clueless. So that's my uh, – there's an AR, but she's got her, like, closet app. Anyway, um, the uh, – I really like what Dolores says here about um, the, you know, having – Caleb feels uncomfortable having to dress up as if he is, like, you know, one of the upper echelon. And Dolores is like, it's plumage. The efforts are tribal, like – and that's why it's so easy to fool them. She says this a couple times about various things in terms of like, it's easy to steal from super rich people because super rich people don't check their balances as anxiously as poor people do. They just assume their money's going to be there. So, uh, you yeah. know, Dolores similar theme these... to like Parasite as well. The, the Bong Joon-ho movie, you know, yeah, like yeah. this kind of idea that like rich people can easily be duped because um, their lives create a sense of security for them. So, Correct. Uh, so anyway, there's this kind of bank heist sequence where like Connell's <laughs> somehow, I guess, alpha males Liam into signing over his money <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, and then they take that info and then go to the bank and like take this guy's blood. It felt very, again, very video gamey to me, but not in a good way. You know, it's like, oh, we got to, your blood's going to degrade in 15, you have 15 minutes to get this, you know, it's not, it's not terrible or anything. It's just like, eh, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, and it didn't feel like fun intense in any way. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, right, I love a heist and but, this did not feel like a good. Fun well, just because it's you know? set up so quickly and then it's over yeah. so quickly. It's like, it's less than half the episode, so you can only yeah. kind of get your uh, heart rate up, so to speak, for so long. Uh, but I will say that the bank that they're they're in looks incredible. It ju- yeah. it just is like architecturally, it is like wow, that is a spectacular looking building. Uh, so yeah, they uh, unsurprisingly they get the money, and mm-hmm. then they're off to the races, right? Mm-hmm. So they go into this party. Uh, which, by the way, I was asking you, what, what is the song? It's the the song is "Wicked Games," uh, which is it, it's an orchestral arrangement, right? Sounds like a string mm-hmm. arrangement of "Wicked Games." As far as I know, like I remember uh, in Westworld season one and possibly season two. Remember when, like every week, there would be a Romine Javadi uh, like song drop on the internet. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, I I don't think that's happening to season three right now, which is kind of a bummer. Well, there was there was a really good one last week. It wasn't like a because like so this song by the weekend is like uh, pretty well known. But the song that happened last week, uh, which I think is called Doom or Doomed. Anyway, uh, it was it's a much less well known song, and it's actually by uh, an artist who's like a friend of or, or like who worked who composed a song with Tessa Thompson for the Creed soundtrack. So that felt like a he's friends with Tessa Thompson and she's like, Hey, can we use like my, listen to my buds music? Isn't it cool? So like the, a cello version, a cover version of that played as Charlotte was going to Ciroc's compound last week. I think it's just less obvious because we don't have like the cool player piano, like zoom in on the player piano as it, as the music drops into place and we get like Radiohead or something like that. And also these, these picks maybe feel a little bit more budget friendly than some of the other ones that they were doing before. The whole theme, I think of season three, 
three is like budget friendly. Um, <laughs> honestly, but I, so, I actually this is the you know I've listened to all the covers that have happened so far. This is yeah. the one that I was like, this is great. I wish I could oh, listen so to good. this right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I hope that eventually they are able to release these covers on the internet like they did for seasons one and two. Uh, but yeah, great, great cover. And there's this kind of great percussive energy to it that makes it a, a, a great way to score this action sequence, which happens at this scene. So uh, anyway, these rich people are basically bidding on these women. Uh, so... You know, thing society's uh, gender attitudes haven't changed that much in the last uh, intervening years since since today, unfortunately. And uh, then, De- so Dolores and Caleb are are trying to uh, extract Liam's money and and do what exactly in this scene? Well, they already got his money. Yeah. I think they're trying to just kidnap him. They're just trying to kidnap him, but then they run into. Uh, Bernard and Stubbs, right? Who yeah. are also doing their own thing here. The most interesting thing. So Bernard and Stubbs are trying to like, uh, freeze all motor functions, Liam, because yeah. they think he's because the I think it's him, and... not Connell's right. Which is, yeah. he actually is the host. Right. And so Connell's is in like, you know, he's in the, I was trying to think of like a, the, the, the Eagle's nest position. Right. And he's like looking down around everything and helping out. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like, um, uh, he, the most fascinating thing he says, I think, is uh, your friends are here sooner than expect, sooner than we expected. And I love that because it's like, like Dolores set Bernard loose, expecting that Bernard would come back and like clash with her. Like she's she she wanted that to happen. Right. Yes. But he says, like, your friends, uh, plural. So I'm like, does that mean she was anticipating stubs, too? Like, that's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> she's, I mean, she's anticipating She's planning Maeve, 18 too. chess moves ahead, Joanna. Yeah, Roberts. she's ahead of Bernard and Stubbs and Maeve, uh, as we find out. And so, like, that's, um, that's pretty cool of her. But, yeah, so, like, they, so these story, this storyline collides, right? It's, like, Bernard and Stubbs come and try to, like, get Liam to tell them who the other like find and replace jobs that Dolores has done are uh, meanwhile, Dolores is trying to kidnap uh, Liam at the same time and they all clash. So we get this like cool Dolores Stubbs fight. I really liked it. Yeah, it was awesome. And it's also like really difficult to do a fight like this when uh, one of the characters is wearing kind of a very um, uh, revealing dress. Reveal- I, I was like, how you. do I say this? But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not very protective clothing, put it that way, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very difficult to do that in a way that's safe. Uh, and they really sold it. They really sold it that Evan Rachel Wood is kicking ass in that amazing outfit. And uh, she does an amazing job. She yeah, and, and her a- stunt double do amazing jobs. Well, and apparently Evan Rachel Wood went back and like insisted. I, I heard this about the episode one fight. I'm not sure if it's true about uh, this fight as well, though. I don't know why it wouldn't be. But she like insisted go- like she get to do more of her stunts mm. because she has like a black belt, I think. Um, and so like a lot of those moves are actually Evan Rachel Wood, though. I, I'm certain her stunt double is in there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this fight. Yeah, uh, you know, it's I great. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And like I think like I don't I don't know if the whole injured shoulder thing with Stubbs is so that like we can believe that a robot Dolores would beat him in a fight. Right. Like, that's what I'm worried about, and that kind of bums me out, because I'm kind of like, I just believe Dolores could beat him in a fight. I just do. Uh, but, like, he maybe, like... It's because of that five-mile swim offshore that we didn't see, you know, <laughs> I don't, like... But that's the thing, is it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, flat, it, flat, it made me think of, like, when we used to talk about Game of Thrones, there's that fight between... Um, Brienne and the Hound and Brienne wins and like the internet for years and years and years was like no way Brienne of Tarth could beat the Hound in a fight D- men are just more physically imposing so that like I don't know I, but I'm like they're robots so <laughs> don't worry about it you know they're robots <laughs> and also uh, Game of Thrones is over <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. those people and those people can't this hurt us the, anymore. <laughs> this is the last Game of Thrones uh, reference I will make in this episode. I promise you that. Okay. Uh, hopefully, it's the last. Hopefully, there's no more <laughs> Game of Thrones episode in the sh- uh, uh, references in the show as well. Oh, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Caleb and and Dolores basically run off with Liam. Um, and at that point, me. like the, the episode does a cool thing where like all three storylines reveal who yeah. the, the, the hosts are, like the Dolores like are at the same. time time in the episode that's kind of cool i like that like the 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 three stories. i thought it was really cool and not just that but like i like that dolores is a uh, line to all of them in a way that like well no i guess she just did it to william and bernard but she's like your old your oldest friend You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think she did it in the Maeve reveal. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. But like, don't yeah. you know me after everything we've been through is sort of the vibe of all of those reveals. Right. Um, but with Maeve, I think it's more like, I think she's, she does the whole like, it, you know, if you want a job done right, do it yourself thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I liked, I love that reveal across all three. I'm going to, I'm going to give Westworld credit where it deserves it. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That's a- technically like on a technical level you know when you talk about things like just the craft of editing and uh production design and things like that i I don't think westworld has ever really suffered um so i think this season it's it's that scene particularly when they're cutting between them and it's dawning on you the viewer what's happening uh it's it's pretty well done pretty well done okay anything Um, else about the sequence yeah i do want to give a shout out to uh, a reference in the party scene where um you know liam comes in there's it's a it's an auction it's a prostitute auction for charity uh is what we're given to understand of this like hold eyes wide shut because we should talk i mean like it's an amazingly striking 
you know, Westworld is always good at its like orgies and debauched sort of designer parties and stuff like that. And so like this, the design of this looks really cool. Uh, these, these prostitutes, uh, both male and female sort of on platforms for the highest bidder all going to charity. Um, but the character of, uh, Roderick, who is, uh, Liam's sort of Logan esque friend, um, you know, Logan's like, I don't like prostitutes. And he says, he says all sex is commerce. And basically like, if you think it's not, that means you, you're being billed indirectly, uh, which is a fun thing to say, uh, I suppose. And then, uh, but good, li- but it, good line, good one liner. It is a good line. And it reminds me of this one that Maeve had in season one in the brothel where she says, you're always paying for it, darling. The difference is our costs are fixed and posted right there on the door. Mm. So this idea of like sex is commerce. And I also really love the, when, uh, Liam's friends see quote unquote, <laughs> Laura Dolores. Yeah. And like, you know, the, 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 the woman is like, uh, blames it on the drug. She's like, these drugs are good, blah, blah, blah. But the guy like stops in his track, Roderick stops in his tracks and she taps the, uh, the old nucleus accumbens yeah. as she walks past him. The I old really nucleus that. accumbens. The old, the old nucleus accumbens tap, uh, classic <laughs> Dolores. So, yeah. A lot of nice touches. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty cool sequence. Pretty cool sequence overall. Like that, like that whole section. That's the Caleb and Dolores plotline. Let's move on to Maeve and Sorak. They have some dialogue this week. So Maeve goes this week on what is essentially a fetch quest, right? In in video <laughs> game parlance, which is you got to go to this character to get to this other thing to get to this other character, which is your actual destination. The um, layers of fat on this storyline, it's like really frustrating to me. Yeah. The whole mortician sequence, I'm like, why? Yeah. I guess just to watch like Maeve do cool stuff, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. But. Yeah. So anyway, Maeve and Sorak have some dialogue and uh, Sorak essentially offers her uh, a trip to the Valley Beyond, right? He's like, right. I-, I can reunite her you with your daughter if you help me out. If you help me stop Dolores, right? And that's yeah. pretty enticing uh, offer. Uh, I am curious, like, are they going to reprogram her daughter to remember her as the mom again? I guess they didn't really address that, right? But because wasn't her daughter like imprinted on this other? I think you know, she mom, felt right? like torn. You know what I mean? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Do you not agree? Like, I think she felt like she felt the pull to original Maeve, but also there was like a, a new Maeve that she I'm just was... saying it's going to be awkward, Joanna. Okay. Yeah. I'm just well, saying it's going to be awkward. It, it takes a village to raise a child. So yes. like two Maves for the price of one. Why yes. not? Um, yes. Yeah. So like Maeve needs the key in Dolores's head to get to the Valley Beyond to hang out with her daughter. Uh, Sirach needs the uh, section uh, 16, is it section 6 uh, intel, uh, you know, that Dolores has in her head. So we, we all want what's inside Dolores's head, section yes. 16. So, uh, so their, their fates are in line. We find out from Sirach that Paris is gone. Uh, it looks like it was like nuclear bombed. Um, and this is part of the, the whole idea of insights, right, is to create order from a chaotic world. So Sirach as a character is motivated by the fact that his home city, Paris, was destroyed by the folly of mankind. And so the idea of insight is like, what if we could just like control the chaotic violence that humans are exacting on other humans? Mm-hmm. Um 
So that gives him a slightly sympathetic motivation. But then we like see him kill a guy and you're like, okay, you're the villain for sure. Uh, (laughs) Rather cruelly, you know, as well. Very cruelly, very cruelly. After making him like witness his like wife and children be uh, tortured or something like that. A couple things I want to say about that. Uh, One, the restaurant where Sirak and Maeve meet. Uh, it's in Singapore, but it is, I think, intentionally meant to look like this restaurant we saw in season two. It's not the same location, but there's a restaurant where, like, Logan Logan Delos first meets Angela, and it's this, like, curved booth. Uh, it's a sim- very similar setup, and I think that has to be intentional. Um, but just this idea of, like, a host out in the real world, which is, like, an unusual thing to have happened. Um, and then... Uh, this idea, this idea where Sirak says, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to injure his children, but like the world is a cruel place. So, you know, things happen. And something that, that we didn't talk about, uh, in last week's episode, um, th- was that on, when Dolores is showing Caleb the tablet about his life and how it was predicted that he was going to kill himself yeah. and all this sort of stuff. um, one of the details on the tablet said like, um, you know, his, his two relationships and one was like terminated by, by like user or whatever. So like he, Caleb broke up with someone or whatever. And the other one was like system. Which by the way is how I refer to my breakups as well. (laughs) It takes the edge off. And the other was system interference. So like, what is, you know, if they, if the system has decided that Caleb is not allowed to have a romantic relationship and have kids because he is eventually going to kill himself. So why invest anything in him? So what does a system interference look like in terms of breaking up a romantic relationship that Caleb might've had in the past, you know? So that's, that's like a, uh, that's got some very insidious implications, I think, Mm. um, of like, how does the system correct for these things? It, it also reminds me, again, I've, I've referenced Devs maybe once or twice, but mm-hmm. Devs is a show that's airing on Hulu right now, and it's yeah. dealing with very similar themes, I think. Uh, yeah. And there's this whole idea in Devs, uh, which I, I don't – hopefully is not going to be a spoiler, but like I'm going to try to be vague. But one of the ideas that is, is discussed in the show is to what extent is everything d- determined, right? To, to what extent do, do we have any free will? Um, are we just like pre-programmed to do the things we're doing, or is it possible that there are other universes in which we didn't do this terrible, fateful thing that set us on a bad path, right? And uh, that—that's kind of what that reminded me of when Sorak says, "Like I won't do anything. The world can be—it's the world that's a very cruel place, not me." You know, like that's kind of what that reminded me of. Is that—is that like um, this was always going to happen? Right. And that's certainly a big theme this season overall is like, to what extent is everything already going to happen? And does knowing it's going to happen allow you to make it not happen? Um, So anyway, both shows tackle it from a very, very different stylistic approach. But uh, I do think they are very complimentary as watching them both this season. So, well, um, uh, and that's the whole we'll get to William, but that's the whole thing dogging William. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, uh, but yeah. So we see, we see, like we find, like Maeve is sent from this guy who's rock uh, kills, <laughs> murders, yeah, <laughs> um, c- calling him like a traitor to his his kind, and, and I think this whole thing that Sirak says is so interesting, where he says like, 
oh, the system saw you hosts coming, like basically, but you're not the problem. Humans are the problem. Humans are always going to be the the extinction of other humans. So uh, I need to fully better understand human behavior in order to anticipate the way in which humans might fuck other humans up. And in, to, in order to do that, I need that technology that William was developing in secret with Jim Delos, the Jim Delos sort of stuff that was happening in Sector 16. So that's what he's after, right, mm. is, a, is a better understanding of, of the human mind um, through that technology. Um, so once again, that's like some, like it's, it's altruism. It's, it's villainy dressed up as altruism sort of thing. Right. right like, right. um, but yeah, so he, he calls, Sirak calls, uh, John this like, uh, identity guy that he kills like a traitor to his kind sort of thing. It's, it's very interesting. Um, and a he brings up the a traitor to his kind meaning humans, right? Yeah, because he helped yeah, Dolores, yeah, right? Yeah. And he says there's no world. Sirach says, according to the system, there's no world in which hosts and humans can coexist. Um, will Will Dolores prove him wrong? Tune in to find out. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, missed so your, then, you missed your calling as a TV announcer, Jonah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so then Maeve goes after this mortician who helped furnish Dolores with a with the blood she needed to pass uh, as this Laura character in order to get in close with Liam. Yeah. So then uh, she goes, then uh, Maeve goes to the mortician, right? And then, mm-hmm. if, like, do, do we want to say anything about the mortician before we get to the, the final? No, it just seems uh, like a very, like, non-character, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool that it's a woman, yeah. but, like... it's cool that it's an Asian woman. You know, I yeah. was like, oh, another, another Asian woman uh, or a, you know, Asian character on the screen. That's cool. But yeah. little did I know we would get the mother of all or the father <laughs> of all Asian characters at the end, Musashi. Yeah. So Maeve breaks into this place, uh, this Yakuza uh, mm-hmm. distillery. And it's actually a pretty cool break-in, I think. Like, she is able to use her robot superpowers to take control of these guns and i think the guns are cool they're apparently like auto aiming guns yeah right which is kind of a cool idea uh and yeah you have it you have an easter egg here you want to call out right uh it blew my mind i really loved it okay so like (laughs) as she's breaking into this uh distillery right you see a sign it's it's not like prominent it's sort of in the background it says um please excuse my japanese pronunciation it's uh, itai doshin or doshin uh distillery uh, and I was like, that's gotta be something or no, actually what I was trying to do actually to take you behind the curtain was find out where they were. And I was like, well, maybe this is a real place. And that's a, you know, cause like presumably she's in Japan. I just don't know where. And I, the, please don't send me angry emails about this, but like, uh, Dave and I both looked at the skyline and we couldn't figure it out necessarily. It could be Tokyo, but I don't know um so if you know please tell me but in a nicer way about than some of the valencia emails we got anyway um so, <laughs> some <laughs> of them were pretty mean we'll put that out there <laughs> so presumably she's in japan but i look so i looked up the name of this distillery i'm like maybe this is a real place and this will help me understand where she is so nobody yells at me but it, it's not a real place as far as i can tell but what's fun is that in like buddhism thought that's a two-word phrase uh itai doshin um, and it means to be of the same mind, even though we are in many bodies. 
Whoa! <laughs> that's what's happening with Dolores. Nice. There's the same mind in different bodies. I'm like, that's a cool Easter egg. That and is pretty cool. That's a really fun one. I'm like, good job. I love that. I love that Westworld. So thank you for that. Uh, and then... Um, and then the mortician says this thing where she goes, this isn't the kind of place that you simply stroll into. And I'm like, "That's a is that a Mordor reference? One does not uh, simply walk into the Itai Doshin distillery. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there we go. And then, yeah. And then Musashi rolls up. And the, uh, the other uh, clue in this sequence is Musashi's, uh, Musashi is, is the head of this Yakuza, like, uh, all of the yukuza this branch of the yukuza um and he's posing as <laughs> good someone named... question good question joanna <laughs> he's posing as someone named sato right yeah. she does at least the mortician does at least say like their new leader yeah their so new the... leader who rose up extremely quickly <laughs> three in months. the last three months yeah anyway and by the months... way who bears a strong resemblance to that guy in shogun world in the uh, park that everyone's been to <laughs> Um, but don't ask any questions about that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Anyway, um, his his character, he's posing as someone named Sato. Sato uh, is the name of a kind of uh, rice beer made from sticky white rice. Um, so presumably this distillery is making, his name is Sato and it's making Sato? Question mark. I don't know. But anyway, when they shoot the barrels and this white goop comes out, my assumption was the white goop is like part of this like sato making process unless it's sake and like because i know there's like milky sake um so maybe that's like uh, a byproduct of of sake production or something my my interpretation is that they're bootlegging the substance that hosts are made out of (laughs) but i guess you didn't see that um yes i mean like it all is leading to that visual of Maeve with the blood and the white goop around her it's all like one long road to get there but um yeah. So Musashi you think, you stabs... think that's what they're doing? You think they're bootlegging host goop? I I honestly don't know. This whole thing this whole thing <laughs> was pretty I, I mean it looked really it looked so similar to the host goop that it didn't feel it like did. it was just like you know yes it could that's just be a, a visual idea. parallel, you know? Could be a visual parallel, but it also just looked like it was host goop, so I just assumed oh, oh, they're bootlegging the host goop. Um, oh wow! I love that idea. I didn't even that didn't even occur to me. <laughs> well, that's why we do a podcast. <laughs> so anyway, it ends with uh, Maeve getting stabbed, and then she bleeds out along to the white the white goop, which is this beautiful metaphor for how she's a combination of both human and and robot. Bro, <laughs> yes. Um, and then it's weird because Sato does. So he says like. Uh, Sato is Maeve, right? Or is Dolores says like, I can't let Serac use you against us. And then he stabs Maeve. She bleeds out, and then he like looks like he's about to like take her pearl, but then doesn't, and just leaves her there. So like, here's okay. So here's what I was looking for. I was like, I don't think Dolores would kill Maeve, which is not really what's happening here, right? Um, but no. I I could see him saying like. I could see Dolores saying, I don't want Ciroc to be able to use you against us. So what I was thinking is that like Dolores would try to like disable the the kill switch that Ciroc has on Maeve. Mm. Like that's that's what they not like I want to eliminate you, but I want to eliminate Ciroc's control of you. That seems pretty far fetched, but I have learned to not doubt you. So well, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just I don't think that I think that the show is trying to trick you into thinking that Dolores 
like wants to eliminate Maeve, but I don't think that that's the case. I think Dolores wants to eliminate Serac's control of Maeve. Anyway, like regardless, uh, Dolores says Musashi like leans over the body and looks like it's going to take the pearl uh, and then doesn't. And I'm like, what? You can't just leave. What was what? What did you accomplish then? Instead, like Kasrock's men who are at the door and they have to go. Uh, Srock's men or you know, people are gonna, just going to come in and like re- rebuild Maeve. Right. This isn't like an actual death of Maeve. So what was accomplished here other than a very beautiful shot of blood and goop uh, blending together. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's very possible. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think it's very possible. I, like I said, I'm not going to doubt you. So, I, cause that has burned me too often in the past. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, before we move on, we got to thank some people who donated to our Kickstarter and made decoding Westworld possible. John Robinson, you have some names to thank, right? Yes, I would love to thank Jessalyn, Christopher Calla, Patrick, Tomato, Patrick Roth. Okay, <laughs> Patrick Roth, Patrick Roth. I really did not do that well. Okay, Ruhan, um, Patrick Byrne, Riley Bathour, um. Abby uh, Rao, uh, Abby Ademchek, Liam Hewitt, Derek Peterson, Ryan Polis, uh, Justin Lerbakken, Patrick Pruce, Jane Phelps, Jonas Reyes, Roland Calusa, Patrick Spinagle, Zach Flanagan Frankel, James Stout, uh, David Kulik, uh, Connor Roach, Bean Britton, um, Adam Borden. <laughs> friend of mine hi uh and chris earnshaw uh thank you guys so much thanks to judy radu katarina makov makaravage katarina makaravage russell confroy michael j gray kelsey chestnut jp gagan hey can you help me with this one jenna robinson shall we say uh, on uh-huh. three two one metal metal dave, dave! <laughs> <laughs> Luke Richard, uh, Brandon Pulaski, Jordan Anderson, Jacqueline Zaruga, Nick Norvell, Corey Graham, Christopher, Jesse Lair, Katie Truchon. 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 Yeah, you got you to take that one. Uh, Kristen Karen Dorella, Trey Smith, Anne Moreau, Peggy Clements, Robin Hill, and Blangendanger. 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 Thank you, all of you, you. for backing the Decoding Westworld Kickstarter. We really appreciate you. And it's because of all of you that uh, many more thousands of people have the chance to listen to us pronounce your names very poorly. Uh, Okay. Final plot line, Charlotte and William uh, in this episode. So the episode actually opens on William. It's just super trippy. All the William stuff looks like it's dream sequence stuff, basically, right? Like, he's flashing back. He's having hallucinations. He's seeing his dead daughter. Uh, I don't necessarily want to go over every one of these hallucinations. So is there stuff you want to highlight here uh, in terms of what he sees? Uh, Yeah, I would say, like, uh, just to recall that his wife, Juliet, killed herself in the bathtub. So, like, him, like him finding himself at the bathtub and also all the water pouring down from the ceiling. Like we had flashbacks in season two of like the water dripping off the crystal chandelier, sort of like how he knew that his wife had killed himself in the bathtub. So that's a reference to that. Um, 
Emily's wound is obviously like where he shot her last season, blah, blah. Um, like it's complicated because basically they've written William this season to be like, anything we could be seeing is not true of William. Though I have to think that in order to have like some grip on reality, we have to believe that all the scenes that he shares with Charlotte are happening in reality. Right. I think is what we have to want to believe. That is is my interpretation. Yes. Yeah. So basically like Charlotte shows up and she, she has this like Charlotte is Dolores uh, and uh, Dolores Dolores, Dolores Prime said uh, in last week's episode, uh, in order to protect ourselves from Ciroc, you got to go see an old friend, right? She's talking about William. So Charlotte Dolores goes to see William and she has this whole scheme where she's going to like record him uh, acting erratic and get him committed, yeah. which was actually uh, something that Emily w- was thinking of doing last season his daughter wanted him in an institution i didn't really need to of course because i know you better than anyone i know you down to your bones it's amusing that you think you chose to kill your own daughter you don't even have a choice in your own grief who the fuck are you your oldest friend but she lies to him and says like those are those are Dulles folks outside and I just need you to like smarten yourself up, uh, clean yourself up. We're going to go to a meeting, bud. And you and I are going to vote together. And we're going to stop this takeover. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then it's like, oops, wow. fooled you. Also, I'm Dolores. Super, what? super chipper impression of Charlotte there. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> um, there's this sequence where she shaves him, uh, which yeah. gave me like Theon shaving right. Ramsey vibes. Yep. Yep. That's your, Another that's your Game other of Thrones reference. Yeah. promised Thrones reference there. Um, and then in that scene, he's like, maybe you're the mole, bro. And she's like, haha, funny. I'll be in the other room now. <laughs> um, but then you see why William's a threat. Because even though he's like addled and all this sort of stuff, like he figures out in two seconds that she's a good candidate to be a mole. So, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so she hasn't committed. She reveals that she's Dolores. She injects something into his neck. Don't know what that was, but it seems to be involved in the last sequence we see, which is William committed to an institution in some white pajamas. No longer the man in black. He's the man in white now. Uh, he sees season one Dolores, like ranch, ranch hand's daughter, uh, rancher's daughter, Dolores, um, and they have this whole conversation about what's real. What did I do? Am I real? Uh, this, just this continuation of his questions at the end of last season of like, am I already a host? Did I have a choice in killing my daughter? Yeah. Was I again, programmed that, to again, do that it? Again, that free will question come up again. Right. right. Like, yeah. And she's like, welcome to the end of the game, motherfucker. <laughs> um, which, is, which is A, a great line. And it was also a great line when she said it in the trailer because she, she yeah. says it in such a breathy kind of badass way. Yeah. Yeah. Really love that delivery. Uh, yeah, Evan Rachel Wood, because she, like, starts the scene as, like, sweet Dolores, and then she just, like, she is such a good way of turning her face into, like, yeah. that that predator face that she does. On a dime. So, on a dime. Yeah, on a dime. Yeah. So, John Robinson, my understanding, and, and I think we can assume that with William's vote, I guess, Charlotte is able to take Della's private, right? Like, that's kind Theory. of the, 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 the yeah. assumption. But I think your issue – we talked about this a little bit. Like your issue with this is that in the 
post credit sequence in last season, it seemed to imply that we were viewing a uh, moment that happens hundreds of years in the future when like the forge is already burned out and shut down and uh, maybe a society of hosts have taken over the world and they're testing William to try to create a copy of him. And I think what your interpretation of this plotline was, hey, this gives the creators of the show free reign to say that was just a hallucination what you saw in the press credits last season, right? Correct. And like, what's frustrating to me is like, you know, I know that I know that that wasn't their plan then because I talked to a producer from the show and he said, that's a third timeline. It's a different timeline. Mm, And he said, it's like at least decades in the future. Right. See, the, the thing is like, I did not interpret this that way like i think that is still possibly gonna happen no, it's po- in the future it's, right it's possible yeah but i'm saying they've painted they've painted themselves they've they've built themselves a trap door where they can not have a timeline that's decades in the future because because essentially we have four episodes left of this season possibly the show right and it's entirely possible they're never going to address the post-credit I mean, scene from from season or two. or just make it clear that it's a hallucination right. you know but like Here's my and, you know, like with respect to the show creators and HBO and all of them, like I'm not trying to like bag on it. But my feeling about this season is like, you know, initially when they first created Westworld, it's a hugely expensive show for HBO. Um, and they uh, like, do you remember that they shut down production partway through season one because they had to like figure out what they were going to do? Uh, and then when yeah. they came back, hiatus, they finished season one. Um, and at that time, they said during that hiatus that they had sketched out five seasons, a five season arc. Right. Mm-hmm. But what happened is that the second season happened and uh, the ratings went down. Right. In the second season. And uh, it's still a hugely expensive show. And then at the end of the second season, they stripped out a bunch of the cast. They moved the show mostly out of the park. And I think a lot of the choices we see this season uh, seem to me to be like budget saving choices and still the ratings are much lower than they were in season two. My guess, I don't have any, I don't have any hard facts about this, but my guess is that they were given the green light to do eight episodes a season. And if this season did super well, maybe they could have their fourth and fifth season. And if the ratings are bad, then we're going to call this a series finale. That's, that's my guess. Right. It's happened mm. to shows before. Yeah. Like my guess is that this sh- season's going to end in a way that could feel like a final ending for the show or could feel, or, you know, they could do four and five, but I don't think they're going to end the season leaving us like, uh, unresolved on things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but I think once again, I don't have any hard facts on this, but I think that when they did that scene at the end of season two, they were still thinking in their five season right. plan right. point of view. And now they're like, reining things in and dialing them back and saying, okay, how can we tie this all up in eight episodes if we need to? And so in in creating this question around that end of credit sequence as to whether or not it's a hallucination, then they're just giving themselves an out and saying like, that was just, Oh, that was just a William hallucination. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that makes sense. It does make sense. We will see if your uh, theory ends up being correct. I'm curious to see how, if at all, they will address the post credit sequence of season two 
at the end of the show. I, I suspect, you know, the vast majority of this, you know, almost all of this season has taken place in the same timeline in within the same time period, right? Like where all these events seem all of to be it. concurrent with each other, basically. The way, so, I mean, the way it all collided in this episode, you yeah. know, like we know that the Charlotte Williams stuff is on the timeline because of the board meeting, right? That yeah. the board meeting is directly after the events of, of episode three. So yeah. that's that timeline. Um, the May Musashi stuff. I mean, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. We do know that because when they go to the Arnold house, Sirak says like, we, you know, this, this was, we you just know, missed them. <laughs> yeah. Like by three months, basically yeah. like they're all on the same timeline. Yeah. So, so I, I agree. It would be weird for them to jump forward all of a sudden to address what happened at the end of season two. So, right. We we will see how it plays out, but I, I suspect uh, I suspect you're right that this might be how they explain it, which is that William uh, be hallucinating, William be hallucinating a lot. So can uh, you blame him? But anyway, he's you know it's nice to see Ed Harris, right? This is the first. It's it's kind of nuts that this is the first uh, yeah. Ed Harris appearance this season. But once again, that strikes me as a as a cost saving. Uh, you know, maybe if you only need to pay Ed Harris for like three episodes or whatever, that saves you some money. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I, I certainly don't blame them. I don't blame anyone for, for doing this necessarily. It's just hard to track expectations when you know that perhaps some of the narrative choices that are being made have less to do with, like, you know, uh, creative, uh, you know, the creative process right. and more to do with the realities of making a massively expensive TV show. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like... Uh, all of right art creation is in some way informed by commerce, and uh, and sometimes that's the the creators of the thing can make it very invisible to the viewer, and sometimes it's not as invisible. And uh, but it can also lead to like really great, you know, ingenious things that occur because people are are constrained. I mean, I would argue that uh, I, I mean I'm enjoying this season a lot more than season two, and I I presume that the budget is less. I, I have no idea, but I assume it's less. Um, and so I think sometimes having constraints can result in, in great things. Um, absolutely. So, You're absolutely right about that. And yeah. like, I think, I think a lot of great art is made out of like, uh, that kind of constraint. And then a lot of like, I just, <laughs> for example, um, uh, maybe, maybe the reason why I, I, um, I, I was struggling for like a ship metaphor earlier for where Connell's was, is because I watched all of the, for some reason, Dave, we're all doing our own this, thing. Are you about to say Avenue five? Uh, no, um, okay. we're all doing our own things to cope. Everyone's this, adjusting to this thing as best they can in this pandemic. Uh, I watched all of the pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, all of oh my them, God. including like the two really bad ones that I hadn't seen yet. Uh, I watched those and, uh, that is just an example of, I mean, not like the budget was small on the first one, but that's just an example of a franchise you watched on stranger tides. I, I I paid to rent on Stranger Tides. I don't. You don't have you don't have it. Disney Plus. It's not on Disney Plus. The oh last my two god! Are not on Disney Plus, I know. So you went okay. So you went to <laughs> Disney Plus to find on Stranger Tides, failed, and then paid money for it. <laughs> I went. I was so like, I was like, I'll just watch Curse the Black Pearl. That's I'll just that's a good movie. I'll just watch that. And then I'm like, well, what if you watched the whole Gore Verbinski trilogy? Okay. And then a morbid curiosity, because I hadn't seen them, drove me to On Stranger Tides oh and whatever. That, that is the saddest story I've heard this week. And by the <laughs> way, 
There is a lot of competition for that title. <laughs> anyway, isn't that a perfect example of like, because uh, World's End, which is the third movie, is was at the time the most expensive movie ever made. And is currently, I believe, holds holds the record of being the fifth most expensive movie ever made. Still, this many years later, right? Um, and that is just like, that's just watching a pile of money burn is what that movie is. <laughs> it's like, because because the plot is gibberish and it's because yeah. no one, like, no one told them no on anything because they had already made so much money, right? Yeah. And so that's just that's just me just agreeing with you and saying like, <laughs> Often the first installment in a franchise is the best, not just because your ideas are the freshest, but because you are we are operating in a place of constraint. Yeah, and so, yeah, or, perhaps the back four of the season will be some of the best Westworld stuff we've ever seen because of constraints. I like optimism. Like maybe that's yeah. what's going to happen. So, you know, I, I have this I have many thoughts. Your, your whole reverie, so to speak, <laughs> on the pirate series has set, has set my mind spinning. <laughs> Uh, one thought is, well, first, first of all, I, you've heard the expression that like every, like, uh, when you make your first album, it contains like everything you learned in your life up until the first album. And when you make your second album, it contains everything you learned between the first album and the second album. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know that that's true in this case, but I mean, it, you know, it's just, it, it's a thought that I had while listening to you talk and about that. Ramble about the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, no, it's like True Detective season one. Yes, where, that's uh, the greatest example. Yes. Nick Pizzolatto worked on that for like a decade. Yeah, and, and it was a great, it was a great piece of art in my opinion. It's so good. Yeah. And then season two, he's like, well, I've been working on this for a year. That's the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, you, you know, have you heard of the, the Berenstain Bears, like, mass yeah. hallucination story, right? Yeah. Like, so the Berenstain Bears was a ch- children's book that me and many people believe that Berenstain was spelled B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. For, for the longest time, I was certain that it's B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. But in fact, uh, it is actually B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N. So that has led many people to think that we we somehow like switched into an alternate universe. Like many of us have like Man- used to Mandela be in one universe. Effect. Yeah. What'd you say? The Mandela effect. The Mandela effect, right? Uh, so in the same way, I <laughs> don't believe on Stranger Tides is a movie that actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we as a society have collectively forgotten about it. <laughs> and maybe that's why it's not on Disney Plus. Actually, I mean. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting that the first three movies are on Disney Plus. I mean, I know there's a bunch of licensing stuff yeah. going on with Disney as they try to like get their whole catalog over on Disney Plus. But I was like, convenient <laughs> that on Stranger Tides and the the fifth one, which I think is the one that really, really doesn't exist because um, I can't even remember what it's called. Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yeah, Dead Men the, Tell No Tales. A movie Sorry, that I'll... made $794 million at the box office. Yeah. Starring Oscar winner Javier Bardem. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Also, your times, of course, stars his Oscar-winning wife, Penelope Cruz. I was really hard on At World's (laughs) End when it first came out, right? Uh I was really, I really thought that movie was was terrible. But then I saw On Stranger Tides and Dead Men Tell No Tales. Correct, correct. And then after that, you realize, wow, at least At World's End has, like, artistry to it, you know? Yeah, at least Keira Knightley's in uh, At World's End for, like, a measurable period of time. Right. Right. I mean, sure, yeah. the, the morals of the film, like the, the themes of the film are morally reprehensible uh, and the plot is completely incoherent and it basically dishonors the characters that we've spent the last, you know, six hours learning about. But 
You know, there's some good fight scenes in that movie. Um, <laughs> I was watching um, At World's End, and I, I got halfway through. I Mark you, I have seen this movie before, but uh-huh. I was watching it, and I was like, I need help. And so I opened the Wikipedia page for At World's mm. End to follow the plot through the Wikipedia page uh, to help me decipher what the garbage hell was going on. Remember when I said that you told me you watching the, you know, on Stranger Tides was the saddest thing I heard this week. <laughs> yeah. You just topped it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I opened the, the, uh, the idea of Wikipedia. Joanna Robinson sitting in front of her, her TV, uh, <laughs> reading the Wikipedia entry for At World's End while watching that movie. <laughs> Let me be clear. I was doing other things while I was watching these movies. These are not movies that demand mm. your full attention at all. So mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. some like housework being done and blah, blah, blah. But I will say like the other ones you can at least like watch with half an eyeball and do your other stuff. This I was like, I'm sorry. Where, why are we back in Singapore? What's happening? So anyway. Um, yeah, I think so we're a little bit off track. Have um, we lost for- the thread? <laughs> Bring yourself back online, Joanna. Uh, okay. uh, so, any <laughs> any closing <laughs> thoughts on season three, episode four of Decoding Westworld? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides doesn't look like anything to me. That's what I'll say. <laughs> uh, bold move oh. of this episode, right? To make them all the same character. I mean, obviously, it was the plan for the season. I assume. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Great, some great fight scenes, some awesome de- like futuristic designs happen yeah. in this episode. Uh, some great architecture. It's I'm not a not... total loss or anything like that. Like it's not, it's not like oh wow, nothing redeeming in this episode whatsoever. Uh, I personally find the reveal to be frustrating. I'm guessing a lot of like at this moment that we're recording this, like we won't have read very much of the reaction to this episode. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of people will find it frustrating, but maybe people will be really awed by how, holy shit, I didn't see that coming, this reveal was. Um, that being said, I mean, like, it is a it is a common theory at this point. Uh, like, it had, it, it, like, you know, it was burn up the charts on Reddit. So, like, I think people are, a lot of, well, the, the people who read a lot of Reddit and watch the show are mentally prepared for this outcome. All right, their bodies um, are prepared. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess uh, the big the biggest failure for me in these first four episodes, and like I said, this is all I've seen so far this season, is I don't I'm not emotionally invested in Caleb the way I think they want me to be, and so that's a problem for me mm. this season. Um, the question marks we still have are around that fifth mystery uh, host, um, who presumably is Dolores, um, and then um, who the other mole is. At Delos, we still don't know. So, you know, there's someone who Sirach says he has under his control, and it's not just Charlotte. So who is it? Mm. Let me also bring this up as well mm. before we wrap up, which is yeah. the idea of Dolores controlling all these uh, different bodies. I do, you know, this this does remind me of this article I read uh, 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> at io9.com by Annalie Newitz entitled When Will White People Stop Making Movies Like Avatar? I don't know if mm-hmm. you know this, John Robinson, but Avatar is a movie that for a very long time was the most successful grossing movie of all time. Never heard of it. <laughs> uh, a, a man named James Cameron directed. He's an okay. eccentric millionaire okay. <laughs> uh, that likes to go down into the ocean in submarines. Deep sea diving. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And... 
the 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 kind of driving point of this piece is like essentially why do white people keep creating fantasies in which they are the people they they basically switch sides and then save other people against white people right that's mm. uh so you think of movies like avatar you think of dances with wolves you think of the last samurai and even district 9 right and uh, I, it, there's just this kind of idea of I, I do think that there is this strain of white fantasy in inhabiting the bodies of other races mm-hmm. that I think is like I, I would argue is distinct to white culture and what I mean by that is like I don't think there's a lot of Asian movies about like Asian people being in white bodies it mm-hmm. just, it's not and certainly not the most successful Asian film of all time <laughs> for many years <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so the, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't think this, this show really has that much, if anything to say about it, but it is something that's there in the background that this white character is in a black woman's body and an Asian man's body and is using them in order to achieve her ends. Um, so I thought I'd mention it. We'll see if the show does anything interesting with it, but it's there. Yeah. I would love for it to address that because yeah. like the, um, I liked that you brought it up. Um, maybe off air to me. I don't. Or no, no. I, I mentioned think, it. I mentioned the. Podcast. I think when yeah. we we were talking about, we must have been talking about season two. Like this idea yeah. of yep. because um, anyway, um, the idea of, of a white woman being in a black woman's body, like for half that season. Um, and so like that was fresh in my mind. You you sort of raising that when I was like rewatching the Musashi scenes, and I'm just sort of like yeah yeah. So like. But the question, I mean, maybe this is like a white person cop out. I'm not trying to like do any sort of like defensive. I think I think those are important conversations to have. But like at a certain point, how do we gender or racially identify these pearls? Mm. Um, are, are you saying like, does Dolores even have a gender? Right. Like, right. Can she even or, be said to have a race. race and a gender? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, that, I don't think that that's like a free pass out of this conversation at all. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, there is no there's no real like uh, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. But <laughs> there's no real question of her like being in the Connell's body. Right. There's no real question of like this woman being inside a man's body because the po- power differential is different. Right. It's different. It's different. It's different. It's different. But like, um I don't know. I think it's, we got an email and we didn't read it, but like, um, that's okay. It's just something I'm thinking about in terms of these ideas of these pearls. Are they gendered? Are they racially identified? Yeah. You know, I just think the, the show doesn't have that much to say about race in general. I mean, there is this parallel idea of, um, there, there is this idea of like people being oppressed, right? That the robot class are like the oppressed. Right. And I would say, like I don't think it's just an accident or a coincidence that uh, Bern Arnold is a black character, um, and and kind of uh, sympathizing with the oppression of these hosts. Like so, I, I do think that there there is a uh, kind of potentially interesting commentary there, but it, I just don't know that this the show has really addressed it at all. It, it has other. Th- it's to be clear, it has other things it's addressing. It has a lot on its mind. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if it becomes something interesting by the end of the show. And may- maybe people think it already is interesting. And if so, I'd be interested to hear their opinions. You can always write those into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Anything else we want to say about this episode, Joanna? 
I mean, I guess we should say that, like, you know, one of the co-creators of the show, Lisa Joy, is not a white, you know, is not a white person. So, like, not that that, like, you know, gives it a free pass in any way. But just, like, I I, I would be much more uncomfortable if this were a, sh- a show from <laughs> David Benioff and Stevie Weiss. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the fact that it's Jonah Nolan, Lisa Joy Nolan is, like, is puts it in a different place for me in that conversation um once again i'm not saying that gives it a pass but that that is just part of that conversation yeah and i'm not saying like you can't have uh that there there must be a prohibition on those kinds of stories but i just think that when you invoke that kind of racially charged idea you know like i would love if there was some kind of commentary on it um what one way or the other you know so well i mean like i think i think that like lisa like you know when you mentioned like uh you know when i was watching the mortician scenes and i was like oh well i think it's cool like i think it's cool that there's that this role that i think would often in other stories belong to a man belongs to a woman and you like were like yeah an asian woman like that's and i'm like yes and to me i'm like that to me strikes me as lisa joy's like you know, not that you need to have like an Asian woman like running a show in order for like an Asian woman to be given a role. But like, I think that that is of interest to Lisa Joy. And so like, like that, that I, and I do think that the reason that this isn't like a predominantly white, or maybe it is predominantly white. It probably is predominantly white, <laughs> um, but not as white as some other. Oh, it's, a fair, it's, a, it's a fairly diverse cast, I would say. Yeah. Is is uh, you know is down to these creators and what they want to see on screen. Yeah. But I yeah. think you are right <laughs> that I think they're kind of treating this future as like a post-racial future. Right. Yeah. And I just don't think that that is the most interesting thing that they could do with this narrative of like enslavement yeah. and liberty, you yeah. know? I mean, cause there is this other underclass that's, you know, there's a new underclass in this, uh, in this world that they, they want to deal with. And yeah, again, again, I'm holding out hope that there are going to be some interesting parallels as the season goes on. So that was always my argument around the Charlotte Hale figure, not to bring this conversation up again, <laughs> but like, that the reason that a young black woman could be on like, you know, the head, like uh, one of the top board members of Delos is because we're living in a like post racial, post gender issue future. And like, uh, I mean, this murder, (laughs) murder fantasy park still exists where like women get raped a lot and stuff like that. So like, uh, I I don't know. It's not super progressive maybe in the future. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Like the, the, the auction, when I was, when I was watching the, the auction scene in this episode, I was like, well, there's one dude up on a plinth, so at least it's not just women being auctioned off. There's one dude, but like, and all the women are various races, so at least it's not just like you know one race of woman being auctioned off. But it's still like it's progress. Still... It's it's what we call in it's what we call in our society two steps forward, six steps backwards. Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Uh, so anyway, uh... all right. That's well, it. we did it. I think. <laughs> I think. I think we killed it. We killed it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for listening to our discussion of season three, episode four. Uh, of course, you can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang, and thanks to Simplecast for making this podcast possible. If you are looking for the first and last word in podcast management and analytics, check out simplecast.com and start your fourteen-day trial today. Until next week, John Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on verifair.com. 
Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. And check out uh, one of my other podcasts, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com or wherever your podcasts are downloaded. We'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Dave Chansky Podcast. 